Welcome to the Pardes Nayeka podcast on inspired parenting. Dasi Berkowitz, director of Becoming a Soulful Parent, together with Tova Leah Nachmani, Pardes faculty member, will be reflecting on spiritual practices that can help us prepare for the holiday season ahead of us. For source sheets to accompany this podcast and for more online Torah learning for the holidays, visit www.elmod.pardes.org. everybody. We are so happy to have you with us for our next installment of Inspired Parenting, this time focused on Passover. Um, we'll be sharing the stories that shape our lives. So I'm Dasi Berkowitz, and I'm the director of Ayeka's Becoming a Soulful Parent program. And I'm here with Tova Leah Nachmani, a beloved teacher at the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies in Jerusalem. So as we travel along in our lives and through the calendar year, each holiday is like a little pundak or inn, as Rabbi Michael Strassfeld once wrote in his book called A Book of Life, Embracing Judaism as a Spiritual Practice. So this pundak or this inn is like a place where we figuratively check in, not to a physical place, um, but to a space within ourselves. That's really what the holidays are for us on the Jewish calendar. So each holiday creates the moment of asking, where are we? Where are we in connecting to our deepest truths and values? And where are we in terms of having the kinds of connections that we really aspire to have in our intimate relationships and our families? That's a fantastic question, Dasi. Um, What's a better question than that? And Passover is one of the most celebrated Jewish holidays, invites us into that inner dialogue big time. What's at the heart of the Passover holiday? So more than anything else, I would say storytelling. Most of us have Seder memories from childhood or later, memories of family or families, memories of generations gathering around the table to tell our stories of being slaves and becoming free. And Dasi, what I want, think you and I are ready to do today are, are we're aiming to go a bit deeper with that story and to talk about what it means to share the stories that have given shape and continue to give shape to our own lives. Yeah, I love that. So the questions that we're going to be thinking about today are where are we this Passover and how do we hope to prepare ourselves for the experience of Seder night? When I think about preparing for the Passover Seder, which I'm already in the process of thinking about, so I'm filled with excitement, creative excitement. There's endless possibilities, but my excitement is always mixed with anxiety. Because when I think back on past Seder nights, I don't know if this is true for you, but mm-hmm. so much for me, there was always tension around the well-attended Seder table because some people wanted to act out the Passover stories with the young children and others just wanted to talk to their siblings and friends to catch up. And they just, you know, they would say to me, Ima, like, we don't have to be programmed every minute. We don't have to be doing creative things. We just, we haven't seen each other in a while. We want to catch up. Some people at the table wanted to ask intellectual questions about the more esoteric, puzzling parts of the Haggadah, and others were nudging to get to the chicken soup and matzo balls. Even mm. after the meal, the tension continued. Some of the adults wanted to sing the songs, Echad mi and Chad from beginning to end. And the others, adults and children, were more interested in raucously seeking out the afikoman, the afikoman. And some family members preferred to go to sleep 
on the sofa, or even at the table. That is the <laughs> truth. <laughs> I think nights. you were sharing me with me a little bit about wh which one of these things you were doing <laughs> on your around your seder table. I was not the one who was falling asleep. <laughs> um, so I totally remember our seders growing up, and while well, most of my family mem uh, my families remembers the chocolate mousse that my mom would make for dessert. I remember as a child sitting at my grandmother's beautifully set table with my aunts and my cousins and my uncles and our family reading paragraph after paragraph of the Haggadah that connected to the most obscure Agadot and stories like Ben Zoma telling Rabbi Elazar Ben Azaria why we were telling the story of coming out of Egypt at night. And it was just this kind of back and forth of, you know, um, one rabbi said the days of your life, which include the days and the nights, and the sages added all the days of your life, which included this world and the world to come. I just remember sitting there with all this fine china and like everybody totally prepared and thinking, what are they talking about? Can people <laughs> please explain this to me? I have no idea what's going on here. Right. So that's a childhood memory of yours. And I want to admit that a lot of us adults don't even have a clue about why Ben Zoma and his friends were asking these questions. Mm. I love that story. It reminds me of many moments in our seders also. So I guess what we want to talk about is how we are going to show up for Seder night this year. The first question I'm going to ask myself, I guess, which is what I ask myself before every big endeavor, is what's the goal of Seder night? What am I aiming for? And how can we, as a family, as a group of people that are coming together, mine the gems from our written texts and traditions in the Haggadah, while still creating a fun and engaging dynamic for all the different ages and characters at our Seder table. So while there are so many new Haggadot on the market and props to enhance our Seders, and I have boxes and shells of the stuff at home, what's important for me is not only what I'm bringing to the Seder, like the frogs, the little, you know frogs for the plagues mm -hmm. and the candies and stuff for my kids but the also costumes and, and costumes. Moses's staff so much stuff with all the cleaning that we're doing mm -hmm. you know that still like has a position of prominence but also how I'm bringing myself right like what's my attitude my openness um to the other guests um and bringing really the core of the Passover story to life and sometimes with the stress of hope of hosting, I can be short with my husband and impatient with my kids. Um, so remembering to actually tor turn toward them um, with more openness is really, I think, one of the critical things for me, for my own preparation. Um, so I'm thinking about how we're preparing for this holiday in expansive ways. Um, and I loved, I was reading um, Michael Kagan's Holistic Haggadah um, a little bit ago, and I was reminded how one week before Passover, on Shabbat Haggadol, there's this verse that we chant from um, the Book of Prophets, from Nevi'im, um, from Prophet Malachi, and it talks about um, turning the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. And uh, Michael Kagan says that prophecy is like a promise of healing. And this passage is read in synagogues all over the world, especially or precisely before Seder night. You know, right, this idea of just being open and turning toward each other. Um, and while some of us, you know, might not be sharing Passover with our families this year, and we might be sharing it with friends or even some strangers or people that we haven't really met before, I think that at our Seder tables, it can kind of be like a laboratory for strengthening 
all of our intimate relationships. Um, and I think one of the main elements um, in that laboratory of this turning toward each other mm -hmm. is storytelling. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about telling stories. The entire reason we sit around a Seder table is to tell this one story. And the telling of this story is actually one of the central mitzvot, or commandments, of Passover. In the book of Exodus, we read about this commandment. It says, seven days you should eat unleavened bread, matzah, and in the seventh day shall be a feast to the Lord. Um, and there shall be no leavened bread seen with you in all of your borders. And you should tell your child on that day, saying, for this reason the Lord did to me when I came forth out of Egypt. In other words, God brought me out of Egypt in order to tell this story. Hmm. Right. And it, maybe not the opposite. Some, so we read that verse and we think, wait, God brought us out of Egypt and therefore I'm telling the story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But maybe we can actually turn that, our understanding of that verse on its head and say, Ashley, why did God bring us out of Egypt? So we can tell our stories. Hmm. And I think that we're challenged by this mitzvah, by this commandment, we are actually being challenged to take our givens, our given life situations, where we are today, and turn them back into stories. The Torah asks us to tell our national story in first person, in I language, as if I was there. It says, This is what God did to me when I came out of Egypt. I wasn't in Egypt, but somehow I need to put myself in, back into that place to create a, a space for, for myself and for my family and the people around me to move from the givens of where we are today back into that story. Hmm. And it made me think recently, um, was my mom's yurtzeit, the year of uh, the date that she passed away, and thinking about my mom and her stories that my own mom passed away when I was a young mother of and I had three children, young children. And when my kids were younger, I was so into the here and now of raising them. And they didn't really know my mom so well. And I didn't honestly think that they cared so much. So I didn't really share very much about her life. I didn't relate to myself as a mom. I didn't relate to myself as a storyteller. I have a shoebox of letters that she wrote to me. Every few, few weeks, she wrote to me for 10 years from the day I decided to come to Israel for a year, and then I ended up staying forever, but until she passed away suddenly 10 years later. And what I'm re realizing now is my kids are older, that I'm actually ready to begin to share those letters and stories with them. And I've begun that process. And it's been hmm. an unbelievable, wow. it's been an unbelievable transformation because I found that when I share my stories with my kids about my mom and about her relationship with me and about how I felt about coming to Israel and leaving mm -hmm. my family and how she felt and how much she missed me and that the dynamic and the, the, the complexities of the dynamic in that relationship, it, it brings us, myself and my children today and my husband also to a closer kind of knowing each other because it reveals so much of what my mom valued, of what she feared, what she held dear and what she understood about herself and also what I understand about myself what I value, what I fear, what I hold dear. So relaxing into sharing more of myself with my kids and my husband has actually, and my friends actually, has actually brought us, all of us, closer than ever. 
and it's been through storytelling. Right. It's so interesting just as you're talking about that because it makes me think about um, how sometimes, especially when we're with little kids, we feel like all that matters is the here and now, like exactly what's in front of us and or just their lives. Like we're in a very child-centered way of raising our children and our families now. But, you know, what are we robbing them of when we don't actually expand their now into something much bigger than now, which is you, your life, our lives as their parents, our grandparents' life, our great, 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 great grandparents' life, and our all of our ancestors that experienced the exodus, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it's um, to kind of you know, turning it on its head to say that stories are the thing that really brings us together and just makes us more human Mm -hmm. and more alive to them. So I think also one thing that's interesting about the Haggadah um, as a vehicle for storytelling is that it's just not one linear narrative of the Exodus from Egypt. You know, if we wanted that, we would have read from, you know, the very beginning of the book of Exodus. Um, You know, it's really not a coherent story. The retelling of the story is mentioned a number of times. Um, You know, we don't get the story of Moses' birth and then he was standing at the, you know, at the Red Sea with his staff raised in the air. Um, Instead, we get moments and we get hints, we get tastes and sounds. So I'm just thinking about the specifics of that story that we we engage in and we really relive on Seder night and we have the Seder plate, right? We have this maror, the bitter herbs, um, this taste of bitterness. Um, we have the breaking of the middle matzah, which is a sound. Um, and then later it's a taste of freedom to come. It's a sound of cracking open a story. Um, Dayenu, right? It's a song sung at our Seder table, a moment of gratitude and grace. Um, and so all of these moments, right, not this linear long story that we're going to interrupt if we kind of interject something, but these moments and snapshots really leave a lot of opportunities during the Seder night to weave in our own personal stories and the stories from slavery to freedom. Um, and so I think one of the questions is how do we really evoke these stories? Um, and I think it's really about being curious and by um, asking each other questions like, for example, eating the matzah. Like, maybe I would ask, you know, what was a moment that you felt you were on the verge of something big? Mm. I mean, the Jews ate matzah because they were rushing to get out of Egypt. Mm. And, and, and that moment and that, that process of, like, the first steps of leaving and b- before they knew what was going to really even happen to them and what was before them, that was the time that they ate the matzah. So we could really think about what that would have felt like for them and and when we've even experienced a moment like that in our lives where we've been on the verge of something that we anticipate as being big, even though we really have no idea of how it's going to play out. Mm, right. And like with gratitude, right, Dayenu, what are you grateful uh, for in the imperfect situations in your life? I just love the Dayenu song that we sing. We, after it's somewhat after the 10 plagues, um, a few pages in, and we're singing Dayenu, but we don't really mean it. You know, it's like, would it be enough that I woke up this morning, but I didn't have clothes to wear? Dayenu. Not really. I really want clothes to wear in the morning. You know, wouldn't it be enough if I had clothes to wear, but I didn't have my cup of coffee? Dayenu. Obviously, the Dayenu, um, the song is much, uh, it's, it's much more significant, you know, about, you know, that God took us out of Egypt, but what, you know, Dayenu, and even if he didn't give us the Shabbat, but wait a second, we really wanted the Shabbat, you know, so um, let's also say Dayenu, that God gave us Shabbat, um, and, and on and on. So there's a way in which we're kind of expressing this gratitude just for every single moment 
of our lives in that moment um, mm -hmm. without the concern and the worry of what we don't have left. Yeah. So it's about, so Diana was like, it's enough. It's not that it would have been enough and we could have stopped here. Mm -hmm. like we could have gotten to the edge of the sea without the sea parting and it would have been enough because mm -hmm. no, we wouldn't have had a story. Right. We, wouldn't have got, we, we wouldn't have come out of Egypt. We wouldn't have made it to the land of Israel. But what it's saying is that each stage would have been enough to show our gratitude for what we did have. I just have to add that I've actually, in preparation for Passover, I've been saying that now for myself all day. I'm like, Dayenu, the kids got to school. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Dayenu, they, I serve them some kind of food for dinner. Mm -hmm. um, it's just like a, a, a way of looking at everything is half full, really. Very nice. Um, so there's all kinds of liberations that the Exodus story is about. There's physical slavery, but there's also spiritual slavery. Um, and there's also emotional slavery and liberation, like we described before, about how liberating it is when we share ourselves with our own children, with our friends, with our spouses. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm thinking about you know, kind of what does it mean to to really be curious about what's happening for other people? You know, so much of the time, I think. We just, um, we ask, might ask questions, but we're not really interested in the answers, you know, to questions. Or we say, how are you? But we don't really have the time to, to listen for the answer. Right. Um, and I think the Seder and the Haggadah really help us in some regard, especially when we go a little bit deeper into it. Right. The Haggadah begins with questions, right? The four questions, like who, who asked the four questions at your Seder? That's like one of the highlights of the Seder. And we're so proud of the young child who always stands on their chair and s or sits up proudly and sings right the four questions and rightfully so we should be proud of them but our tradition also requires us to go beyond the seder beyond the orderliness of the night which is set which is known and to create an element of surprise and, and, and curiosity mm, yeah um, you know and I just I wonder if you know what would it look like if we <clears throat> kind of were really interested and um, opened ourselves up to being surprised by um, by asking questions to other people at the Seder. You know, I think that we um, we see this with children. Um, you know, there's a there's a lot of focus on children um, at the Seder, and you know, the four questions, and then we have the four children later on. <clears throat> but there's a way that I think um, this the focus on children is almost like a metaphor for us of kind of tapping into our own inner child, right? That we all actually have that curiosity inside of us that actually does really want to know. Mm -hmm. My youngest daughter often says, Ima, I'm really good at asking questions, aren't I? And it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, but can you just finish your cereal so that you know, <laughs> we can kind of move on with our day? Um, right. right, children do live in a constant state of surprise and curiosity. Sometimes we as parents are the ones that stifle that because there's no time and we don't have patience for it. And one of the things that I'm curious about in the Haggadah itself is why is the Mishnah directing the children in the asking of these four questions? Why is the Mishnah scripting for us about what to ask and how to ask it? Mm. Why do we even have these four questions? Why don't we just have a Seder where we can be curious and ask our questions naturally? And why does, it, why does the Haggadah just leave that up mm. to us? Why does our tradition assume that we can't do that? Mm. Um, and I think when I think about myself, I would say... As a child, of course, I'm a, a parent, an adult, but I'm also a child. We're all children. That I didn't always show interest in my parents. Hmm. In the in the Passover Haggadah, there's four children. There's one wise, one rebellious, one simple, and one who doesn't know how to ask. 
And actually, we are all of the above children. With our own parents, with our grandparents, we often don't ask them anything because we take them for granted. And sometimes we resent their attempts to guide our lives, sometimes as teenagers and sometimes right, whatever, whatever phase of our lives. And sometimes we're just indifferent. Sometimes we just don't even think to ask them questions. We often don't even get to know the real stories of our parents or our grandparents until it's too late, after they're gone, after they don't remember. And I think there's something about that, that Passover and the focus on asking questions and the, and the scripting of those questions is reminding us that we mm. really need to be people who are asking questions mm. and not taking the people who are closest to us for granted as if we really know them so well when, when I'm sure there's many, many stories that mm. haven't, have yet to be told. Mm. Yeah, I love that, right? Even beyond, even beyond the, um, the, the ones that are, are in the Haggadah being able to just kind of like spin off the story, you know, I mean, and we can, we definitely can ask questions that are related to the topic, right, of um, liberation from, from slavery, you know, whether it's physical or spiritual or emotional, like we talked about before, or even things about, you know, when was a place when you felt small or unseen um, as a slave might have, or not recognized, or not seen for your potential, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, I think there are so many things, or when did you experience bitterness in your life, mm-hmm. right, there's so many different things that we can, that we could ask, and I'm, I'm also thinking about it for um for you know you know not only in our the intimate spaces but also like to to connect back to the original story like mm-hmm. to get curious and to even model that at our seder as mm-hmm. parents who are now kind of uh, holding this tradition and and having these seders and passing down this tradition now to the next generation what does it mean for us to get curious about the original story? Mm-hmm. Um, I know that for me, I, I was we were talking about this earlier that that Shifra and Pua, um, who are the who are the the um, midwives, the midwives, midwives, and from the you know the first um, the first chapters of Exodus, and they are the ones when you know um, Pharaoh is um, seeing that the these Hebrew women are having so many children he's worried about this population expansion in Egypt and this fear that these Israelites are going to take them take over the Egyptians um, that these midwives just continue with their work they continue to bring life into the world even though there's a decree that every first Hebrew born child male will be thrown into the Nile, you know, will be killed. Um, And there's something that's so profound and provocative for me about these women who are just going to focus on exactly the need that's in front of them. You know, there are these Hebrew women, Israelite women, who are giving birth, and you're not going to say, there's a bigger consequence that's going to happen here. We have to look at the geopolitical situation and really focus on that now. They actually just stepped up and did what needed to be done um, in that moment. So I think that that kind of courage and audacity and kind of, you know, sensing the pulsing need of the moment um, is something that is one of the stories that just really inspires me that I love to to share at our Seder. Mm, that's beautiful. I love that. And especially because the midwives, it's not clear in, in our tradition, it's not clear that the midwives, if they were Jewish or if they were Egyptian, it could have been that they were righteous Gentiles and they mm-hmm. actually were going against the decree that mm-hmm. they were standing up against the decree yeah. of Pharaoh 
for the sake of humanity. Right. And I think that that's beautiful because if, as part of our tradition says, no, that these, these were Ashley mothers, these were Mo- Moses's mother and sister, so then we can say, well, that's maybe obvious that, of course, the Jewish women would do that for each other. But there's also part of our tradition that says that, no, maybe they were not even Jewish. They weren't even part. They were actually supposed to be on Pharaoh's side, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that it's fascinating to think about what, what does it mean to step up? What does it mean to be present? What does it mean to show up at the moment where something is much more important that needs to be done at this moment? And, and, uh, and yeah, and not to think, not to overthink too much. Um, yeah, the piece of the, the story of the Passover Seder that really speaks to me is, um, is the moment where the Jewish people are sitting down inside of their homes with blood on the doorpost, right, with their shoes on and their belts on and ready for their journey. And, and they're just prepared for anything. They're prepared for this unknown and they're sharing the story of what they know about what has happened so far, and they're talking about the journey that is in front of them where they really have, they have no idea what's going to happen, but they do know that our ancestors were promised a land, and that's the land that they're going to be mm. journeying toward. Mm. And there's something about that moment of the parents and the grandparents and the children and people getting on board and the community getting on board with each other in the story um, and being willing to sit together even after generations that they've been in the land of Egypt, many of them were assimilated, many of them had embraced the Egyptian culture or the Egyptian gods, and really to be able to say, no, at this point, this is the point where we are pulling together and we're making a choice and we're deciding that it's time to go, that we're mm. ready to leave. Mm. I love that. You know, it's really that faith and that courage, um, you know, that really that takes us through. So I also want us to explore asking ourselves questions, right? Even asking ourselves questions that aren't the pat questions that we have an immediate answer for, but a question that can um, expand our thinking this Passover. So we have a few questions here and feel free to answer any of these questions that you want to at home also. Um, So one question I would love to know for you, Atova Lea, is, um, you know, Passover is about dreams and dreaming. What do you dream and inspire toward um, or imagine um, we're leaving Egypt to come to a land of milk and honey. It will be a struggle, but it might also be something amazing. So what are your dreams? So one of my biggest dreams, though I don't um, admit it very often, is bringing my own personal story and my parents' stories and my grandparents' stories um, in some form, and I'm not sure what that form is going to look like, but mm. in some kind of a creative form to bring it to life to bring it um, really to bring it down to my children to sort of make a tikkun a fixing on some mm. level of the things that I have not really shared with my own wow. family and I want to yeah. sort of carry it forward and be able to share the things that were most valuable and and pressing and dynamic for each one of us in our own stories and how we got here and how mm. my children even got here mm. when, I, when I think about writing um, sometimes I ask my students you know if you were to write your biography, where would you begin? Hmm. That's You're a great write question. write your own story. Yeah. Where does your story begin? Wow. That's even a great question just to throw out at the Seder table, you know, to ask right. people to reflect on that, right. or even in Chavruta, or if there are people in different generations That's to ask right. that question. And does our story begin with, well, I was born here, and there, right? Mm-hmm. Does, it, does it begin with us, or does it really begin with the choices that people made throughout the generations who brought us to where we are today without whom we couldn't have made mm-hmm. the choices we're making now? Love that. I love that. Yeah, what about you, Dasi? So I'm thinking about another question 
um, you know, on during the Seder, we eat a sandwich with on the matzah of uh, matzah together with the sweet haroset and bitter herbs. Right, a combination of sweet and bitter. And so I'm thinking about the question of like the exodus from Egypt. It's it's actually it's actually bittersweet. And mm. so I'm curious, what was a bittersweet moment that mm. you are thinking about, mm. that you have, that you've been experiencing? Yeah, well, I, you know what? I just love that image, actually, of the bitter and the sweet together. You know, and there's there are some um, traditions that you dip the bitter herbs and the sweet haroset, and then you shake it off right. and you eat it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But there's this way in which, um, you know, the 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 bitter piece is clear, right? There's bitterness in life. There's... Um, struggle, there's, um, there's injustice um, in our families, people die, you know, there's illness. Um, there's a lot that, um, that we can struggle with, but this, this piece of the, the haroset, which also, you know, it's like, it's the mortar, and that's what, the, you know, the symbols from our childhood was, it's the mortar that the, the Egyptians um, made the, the Israelites build with, but it was also the um, the ingredients of the haroset, which when you reflect on it more, it's also the same ingredients like the dates and the apples and the, the, the nuts and the wine are also ingredients in the book of the Song of Songs, um, uh, Shira Shirim, which we read on Passover and on the Shabbat of Passover, Cholamoid. And I, there's something about that that's so striking and so true to me that, you know, that there's bitterness um, but it's not alone, right? The bitterness is contained in or couched in or dipped in or touched by mm-hmm. this love or this sweetness. And so, you know, really thinking about how bitter sweetness also shows up in life um, that, you know, in my own personal life now, you know, that we're experiencing a lot of health issues with my mother and just knowing that that also, you know, it's it's bitter and it's it's painful, and it's also incredibly sweet to be so conscious of time and conscious of how we are together and how we speak with each other. So, so I'm thinking about that, you know, that combination of things. Mm, beautiful. There's so many other questions we can ask for Passover, and I just want to say that it doesn't have to happen in one night. Hmm. We think about Seder as an opening into a new way of relating to each other with curiosity, with more openness, with more love, sharing our stories of inspiration with each other, it can happen starting now. Mm, absolutely. You know, I think just to be able to, to, we were joking about this, right, having like a question night or something, or take your, your kids out for a question date over ice cream or something like that before Passover that we're, you know, just like sit down and ask, say like, come up with a great question for Ima or Abba or for a mom and dad, or we want to ask you a great question about your day or your life, you know, just opening up those, um, the, 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 those kinds of conversations can just add a lot of more depth, both in the preparation for the Seder and also on Seder night itself. And, um, I'm looking forward to it as a, a kind of a gift, um, you know, uh, to embrace this Passover, and um, and I'm I'm looking forward. I'm happy that we're able to share it all with you too. So um, thank you, Tovalea. We thank you, Dasi. We are going to be continuing um, a second podcast that we have on um, on on the kind of our best hits of Passover. You know, are the the best things, the insights, um, activities that we've done in our families that we've really just cherished over the years. Looking forward to hearing yours. We'll see you soon. Okay. 
Thank you for listening to this Pardes Ayeka podcast on Inspired Parenting. For more about this podcast and other offerings from the Pardes Online Learning Channel, visit www.elmod.pardes.org.